0: Nearly 200 years ago, God gathered this little group of Jesus followers and formed a church. And that church is called Mountain. For 198 years, God's mission through Mountain has been unstoppable. And that's because at each defining moment along the way, mountain people have stepped up with this gritty determination and this radical commitment to a faithful God who keeps making a way where there seemed to be no way. This is a defining moment. This is a time for the people of God to rise up. You are being called to make a difference with your life by stepping forward and saying, I'm in it for good. Good morning, everyone. Really good to see you. Super glad you're here. Met a bunch of new friends on the way in today. Just great to have you here as well. Welcome. You're joining us at a great time. Whoever you are, I don't even know why you're here, but I'm really glad you are. Are you guys ready to go someplace significant today? All right. I was hoping for more than 12%, but we're going to go anyway. All right. You ready to go someplace significant today? Let's go. Let's go. All right. Let me start by saying uh, I never really liked Ken Stabler. Um, just never cared for him. Some of, you, uh, some of you know who that is, some of you don't. He was the snake, that's right. He was an NFL football player for 17 years back in the 70s. One of the reasons I couldn't stand him is he played for the Oakland Raiders. That's enough reason right there. Number two, the Raiders beat the Vikings in the Super Bowl, but then, of course, who didn't? And uh, but, you know, honestly, the reason I didn't like him the most was because he was kind of a jerk and he kind of reveled in being a partier and just a wild guy, wasn't very nice to his teammates all the time, that kind of thing. Kind of a wild hair, But you know what? One time he was doing an interview with uh, somebody from Sports Illustrated. And they were asking him kind of about what his philosophy of life was. And he actually, believe it or not, he quoted from Jack London, the, the famous author, Jack London. And here's what he said. He said, I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor Every atom of me burning bright in magnificent glow than a sleepy and permanent planet. The function of man is to live, not to exist. And the, the person doing the interview asked me, says, well, what does that mean to you, Ken? Of course, he's not a philosopher or a theologian. He's a football player. He thought about it for a second and he said, it means throw deep. Throw deep. And I love that. I actually love that. Whether whether you're a sports fan or not, I think you understand that in a a football game, you can can just hand off and run for a couple of yards. You can just do a little dink and dump and do all that. But once in a while, when the game's on the line and you're behind and the clock's running out, you got to haul back and you got to throw deep. You write, no, I'm not going to do it, but (laughs) I'd hurt you. But you know what I mean? You, you got, and it's true. It's true. Whether you're a sports fan or not, I hope you get it, that this is true in our lives as well, isn't it? That There are things in life where once in a while you've got to take a risk and go big. And it's absolutely true in your life with God. It's true in your life of faith. There are lots of little things that we've got to do every day that are like little just little handoffs, little faithful, like two yards at a time, we're going to do the safe thing. But you know what? Once in a while, God's gonna call you to throw deep, to take a risk, to put a flyer out there, and to see what happens and so you can learn to trust Him. Throw deep once in a while. We're in this thing we're calling unstoppable good, and it's an opportunity for every single one of us to break the huddle having heard God call the play. Oh my goodness, it's a, it's a deep one. Let's go. This is a time where we're called to spiritual growth like some of us have never experienced. As we've been dinking and dumping and just kind of dipping our toe. We're calling this whole thing unstoppable good. Unstoppable good. And, you know, we've, we learned through the pandemic that the church, is, turns out, it's not It's not stoppable you know, if we didn't know it already from the past 198 years at Mountain. But good comes from that, just that expression of who Jesus is. Acts 10.38, you know, is one of those places in the Bible where where it just summarizes everything Jesus did. Acts 10.38, Acts 10.38, there it is, magic. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Read it with me. And he went around doing good. Isn't that awesome? What a great description of Jesus and his ministry, going around and doing good, and we just want to do more of that ourselves. And so there comes a time when um, we've got to go deep, and Unstoppable Good is our invitation to do that in our life, in our faith. I'm going to give you some tangible ways to do that. And our prayer is this, that every single person who's remotely connected to mountain, like if you have driven by before, you're invited to go on a spiritual journey, and I hope that you'll do that. It's a time for us to trust God to do some work in us because, as Jared just mentioned, there's some really amazing opportunities, open doors right in front of us of things that God wants to do through us. But first, we've got to pay attention to the spiritual growth, the discipleship journey, the throw-deep faith that you are called to so God can do something in us before he does something through us. Does that make sense? it's really really important we get that straight the primary goal of this whole unstoppable good initiative is that 100 percent of us everyone who's connected to mountain in any way would would just kind of engage with god like you have a conversation and be willing to trust him whatever play he calls that you'd be willing to do whatever that is and you, you would at the end be able to say i'm in it for good like i'm all in So that's where the guidebooks come in. I know Jared just mentioned that. I just want to, man, if you don't have one, make sure you get one today. Uh, They've just got so much stuff in there that you're going to want. And also, all of that is available digitally, okay? So we'll put the address on the screen. It's unstoppablegood.church, and everything there is digital, and you can grab it on your website, your phone, or whatever. But you're going to find the vision, and I'm excited about some of this stuff that God's going to do through us the mental health initiatives and the young adult work we're going to begin. And, and connecting more people to Jesus and one another through sports and the things we're going to do in Africa and locally and through the epicenter and preparing to launch another campus and doubling down on kids and students. It's all important, you guys. It's really, really good stuff. And, and that's what we know God wants to be able to do through us, through the expanded Prayer, uh, service, focus, and generosity. So we're not talking about status quo. It's not the same play we used to call, it's a new one that's going to gain more yards. It's called Unstoppable Good, and that's that's the whole thing that we're in the middle of now. The booklet also will have some message notes. So today, turn to page 27. It's the one that falls right in the middle of the booklet, and uh, that'll help you um, follow along. Also, in the booklet, you got this. And remember, this is this commitment card. I'm hoping every single one of you will take this like a prayer, like a prayer reminder, like a sacred tool that God will use in your life as you think over the next few weeks about a commitment you will make to God for what he's going to do in you to take a sort of throw deep sort of faith and maybe it'll be the most important faith step you've ever taken and that's how we grow to help us hold our together over the next few weeks, we've been doing this Daily Dose of Good. I hope some of you have been enjoying it. Have you been enjoying that, the Daily Dose of Good? Such a great way to start your day. Just, We'll put the number up on the screen again. If you want to get in on that, it's not too late. There's a few more weeks left. Just every day, we just prepared a short little five-minute uh, video. It comes to your phone, and it's just a, a, a way to start your day with God. There's some scripture, there's some prayers, a challenge, just to get centered on the Lord. And so you can just text that number, text the word good to the number on the screen, And uh, this is all our way of saying, okay, God, take us wherever you want us to go. So, all right, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about the life of Abraham and some of his story. Um, and how God called him to throw deep if you recall it was like Abraham I want you to leave everything you know everything and everyone you love and I want you to take I want to take you away to a faraway place and also I'm going to make your name like your family your descendants are going to be the avenue and the vehicle through which I'm going to bless all the people of the world you're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and as many children as there are grains of sand on the seashore which of course was an amazing promise for Abraham and Sarah, and, you know, when when God, or anyone, a builder, if you're going to build a very large house or a very large building, you want to test that foundation, don't you? You want to test it ahead of time to make sure it's going to hold up and be strong enough, and God is saying, I'm going to use you, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing, and so God wants to test that foundation. And I think he wants to test us sometimes, too, because I think there's lots that God wants to do through us, but I think he's going to test us right now. The first test that he gives to Abraham is like, hey, I want you to leave everything you know, see if you can step out of your comfort zone for me, and Abraham goes. He passes that test. Another test was whether Abraham and Sarah would actually trust God for the promise that he had given them of children. You know, why, why was that a big deal for Abraham to trust God? Because he's really old and they don't have any kids. And they've been trying for like decades. All right. And no dice. So they're like, okay. You know what happens? You know what the Bible says? When God says, oh, and by the way, you're going to have all these kids. You know what Sarah does, don't you? Don't you? She goes, she goes, ah. she's like, oh, baby. Did you hear it? She's like, just busts out laughing right in God's face. That's a good one, Lord. I don't, you know, sometimes I think we laugh as a defense mechanism sometimes like God asks you to do something and we just laugh it off like oh that's a good one I don't care if you are God that ain't happening that's exactly what Sarah does and uh, God got the last laugh on this one Uh, she laughed all the way to the hospital can just picture her walking in there they're like oh uh, geriatric ward she's like no maternity It's like, I mean, there is a lot of humor here. When you think about it, it's funny. You know, when that baby popped out, there he is. You know what they named him? Isaac. You know what it means in Hebrew? Son of laughter. Like, don't you forget and God gets and the whole thing is funny. When you think about an old woman like they're going for a walk, you know, with the stroller and everyone thinks it's cute, but she's using the stroller as a walker because she needs it. You know, it's like they go to Walmart and they grab like a whole bunch of baby food because no one in the family has any teeth. I mean, it's like there is some humor here, isn't there? Hey, grab an extra pack of diapers, one for the baby, one for Abraham. Right? I mean, I mean, you can see there's some funny here. It's very funny. It's it's this laughter thing, but God gets the last laugh, gives him a son, and can you imagine how much they loved that baby I mean man we've been waiting on this kid for a long time you can imagine how much they love that son so he passes those tests and today we're going to talk about a third test which is one of the chief ways that I think God wants to test us in order to strengthen us in order to get us ready for what can happen in our lives Sometimes we think we've got to just be able to have God work on our terms, but God says there's so much more that we could do if you would just trust me, and so he has to give us these tests to grow us. And you're probably at a place like I am where you're ready for a test, or you know you'll benefit from some strengthening. And so we're going to learn from Abraham today. He, um, he got this, it was a test of sacrifice. It's one of the best ways that God grows us. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. I'm going to give you a definition of sacrifice. Sacrifice is when you give up something you love for someone or something that you love more. You know? That's not a bad definition. Think about that. Turn to page 27 in your booklet. Let's dive into the text. This is in your Bible, Old Testament. Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 22, we're working through the life of Abraham here, so here it is, Genesis 22, verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied, in other words, Abraham is saying, I'm ready, I am ready, whatever you, I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, God, we went through this already, can we just stop? But he's like, here I am, Lord. I'm ready for whatever you have. Are you at that place where you're ready to say to God, whatever you have for me, I'm ready. Here I am. Because if, if you can't say that, then the rest of this is irrelevant. If you're just like, you're done, i God, no further. I draw the line, God, you stay over there. Unless you're ready to invite him to take you someplace. And Abraham says, I'm ready. Verse two, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. It's like, what? I mean, this is a mind-blowing thing. I do not even get my mind wrapped around this as a parent, thinking about what that would be like to sacrifice my own son or daughter, especially this one that I love so much, that you've been waiting on, this child that was their world, how barbaric, what kind of God is it? I mean, all of those questions come to mind. Like, I knew I hated the Bible, and that's why, that stuff. You get a lot of that going. One thing that's interesting I never noticed before is that, do you realize this is the first time in the Bible that the word love appears? And do you notice the context here? Love is mentioned here Referring to a beloved son who must be offered up as a sacrifice. Isn't that interesting how God gives us a little sneak peek, a little foreshadowing? which not you love the Bible? A little peek ahead uh, that God knew that one day he would make the same sacrifice of his one and only son whom he dearly loved. Scripture is amazing, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're tipped off in the very first verse that God is only testing Abraham, but Abraham doesn't know that. All he knows is that he's been asked to give up this thing he loves to find out if he loves God more. Also, I want to make it clear that God actually never requested an actual human sacrifice, never before this, never after this. In fact, all through the Old Testament, there is strict condemnation of human sacrifice. But again, Abraham doesn't know that. It's a test, and he doesn't know. We're let in on it, and God has called him to do this unthinkable thing of laying down his Son of laughter on the altar to give him back to God. What's he going to do? Verse 3. In the early morning, early next morning, Abraham got up and loaded up his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out. For the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So Abraham obeys. He gathers his son, a pile of wood, hides the, you know, the, the knife under his coat, and off they go. What caught my eye this time, Someone, my friend Steve Pope pointed this out, is this phrase, on the third day. To their walk, it's a long journey to this mountain. And on the third day, and I don't know about you, but if I was going on this journey, I might have said, okay, God, whatever you want, and I'm walking, I'm... After three, I'm talking myself out of it. I'm talking God out of this if I have that much time. I might initially say, okay, let's go. But I, uh, three days later, I don't know. I don't think so. And it's a great reminder, friends, that true faith is not so much about your initial response or an emotional reaction or a sort of conviction in the moment. What, and what faith is is about long-term obedience in the same direction where two days, three days, four days, three weeks, even two years later, you're still with it. Which is one reason I think it's cool that God's given us this opportunity called Unstoppable Good, which just so happens to not be a thing where we get all worked up in an emotional moment and say, okay, this is this, this, and we're going to do this. But it's like, no, this is a two-year commitment. It's a two-year commitment about how you're going to live, how you're going to pray, how you're going to serve, how you're going to give for two years. That's the kind of thing that changes your life. And that's what's going on here with Abraham. Three days later, he's still doing it. And I think we all understand this. That it's not just the initial thing, it's the longer, t- you know, God told you perhaps one time to break off a relationship that you knew was unhealthy, and you do, but then a week later, you're second-guessing God, and you're, you're wandering back to that same person. Why? Because it's hard to give up something that you love. That's why. Or, or maybe you know that you're drinking too much, or you're gambling too much. Or you're flirting too much, or you're somehow engaging in something that's really not good or healthy for you. It's outside of, the, uh, of what's pleasing to God, and you kind of know it, and so you get clear as a bell in a moment. You say, I'm going to change. It's going to be different. And you do that, and, but then a week later, you drift back because the little habits, they die hard, don't they? Why? Why is that? Because it's hard to give up something that you love. That's why. Sacrifice is hard. Or maybe God had convicted you to make a financial sacrifice for him, but then things get tough financially. Or you see something you really, really, really want. And so you begin to second guess this whole thing and pull back on your giving. Why? Because we love what money can do for us. We love our stuff. We love the security it provides. All of that. It's hard to give up what we love. Now Abraham, he's walking this walk of obedience. It's not a flash. It's a follow-through commitment. And that's one thing I think we have an opportunity to do as well. Abraham is walking along. One thing I noticed here is that it doesn't say anything. They're walking for three days, and there's zero recording of any conversation taking place. It's silent. He's speechless this whole time. It's just a long, quiet walk. You can kind of picture it. Abraham's walking along speechless. Here's a question for each of us today. What what is it in your life that if you lost it would leave you speechless? Like you, you just love it that much. It's that thing you love for Abraham. It was Isaac. And God's testing him. He's teaching him. And in that quiet moment as they're traveling, I bet Abraham's doing a lot of talking to God and a lot of listening, a lot of praying. And that's what our hope is. As we walk, in a few weeks, we're going to be walking right up to an altar moment, November 6th. And our hope is that each of us would have had that long, quiet walk and talk with God, just like about what, where really is God in my life, and we'll be ready to do whatever he asks. Reflected on that commitment card, reflected in your prayers, reflected in your commitment to the future. Look at this next verse, verse 5. Verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we are going to, what's the word? Worship. Worship and then we he knows he and the boy are coming back somehow i don't know how he knows that but or maybe he was lying i don't know but we're going to come back and i just thought that was such a powerful quick reminder here for us that here he is this has got to be a tough moment for abraham right i mean he's he's in pain this guy's in anguish this is a difficult moment and yet what does he do and friends worship is not just sort of like hey i'm feeling really happy today i think i'll go to worship those are great times to worship where you're thanking and praising and all of that. But you know what real worship is? Is where you say, God, you're above everything and everyone in my life. And today I will worship you. Even in the valley, I'm worshiping you. Where we can turn our pain into praise. Now that's worship. And that shows God where He is with us. That's my encouragement to you. When you can turn your pain into praise. So you got some pain. That you've been turning into all kinds of stuff. Pain turns into anger. Pain turns into self-pity. Pain turns into all kinds of stuff in our lives. Pain turns into selfishness because I can't think of much else. When I drop a brick on my foot, I ain't thinking about you in that moment. I'm thinking about me. And he's in pain, but he goes to worship. How about you? Can you turn your pain into, into praise? That's a reflection of... It's why the Bible calls... A sacrifice of praise. You give up something you love yourself for something you love more. That's what worship is. And it really comes down to Abraham believed God was faithful to his word and unstoppable good is our test for you to decide if you believe God is faithful to his promises. And your answer will be reflected in how you commit. Plain and simple. Let's look on. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Whew. It's poignant stuff, isn't it? Little, little Isaac's confused. It's like, I see we're going to go make a sacrifice. We're going to worship God. I get that. But, Daddy, where's the lamb? I don't see, any, I don't see exactly what's going to be sacrificed here. And Abraham simply says, God will provide. And I believe this was him saying the words he knew in his head were true, but I bet he's wrestling inside of him. Don't you think? He's like, come on. He's probably like, oh, I knew this question was coming. And I bet bet he's wrestling. He's got an internal battle. I bet he's praying to God. He's a man of faith, but he's got to be saying, God, are you sure this doesn't make sense? Like that man who brought his son to Jesus one day he was all messed up, had all kinds of problems. He brings him to Jesus says, can you do anything? And Jesus says, do you believe that I can? Jesus' reply is, do you believe that I can? <laughs> and the man says, yes, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Can anyone relate to that? Like, yeah, I believe this, I do, but this is really hard. This one here is really hard. We're a mixture of belief and unbelief, and this is also why I think tests work, because they get you out of the easy stuff, out of the comfort zone, into the area where it's like, ooh, now I gotta really decide if I really believe God or not. I believe, but ooh, I'm struggling here. Can you help me out a little bit, God? Abraham has to be thinking that. I hope you're thinking that because that's the space where you will grow, where you will stretch, where you will actually sacrifice something, trusting God, where you're not doing everything in your own strength. And when you do that, you will grow, you'll receive blessing and benefit you will never get when you play it safe. Until you throw deep, you will never know the glory that God has in mind for you. And that's why we're doing unstoppable good, so we can grow in us and let stuff happen through us. So there we are. Look at verse nine and following. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He's going through with this. He bound his son Isaac, picture it, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Can you see this happening? It's an amazing moment. Now this is a man of great faith, Abraham, for sure. But here's something else that someone pointed out to me. He's like, you know what, we have to appreciate the faith of this boy. I mean, think about the faith of Isaac here. I mean, he's probably 15, 16 years old. His dad is, what, 100 and whatever. I mean, he, he could have overpowered his dad, but no, he's letting his dad tie his hand, and he's lying as if to say, I don't understand what's going on here either, but I trust you, dad, and I trust God. This is a boy with some amazing faith. And I want to ask you a question. Where do you suppose Isaac, at his young age, got that faith? Is this an accident? He was born with it? What do you think? It's a faith that says, I trust you. Listen, parents, grandparents, listen to me. It's pretty clear to me that Abraham taught his son how to trust God. And I can tell by this scene right here that he grew up, Isaac did, witnessing his father live out his faith. Abraham didn't just talk the talk. He was a man who walked the walk, and it had a major impact, it's clear to me, on Isaac's life. And parents, listen, your kids are watching you, and what you do is way more important than anything you say, which is what, of course, is so horrifying about being a parent. And None of us is perfect. All of us are going to fall down so many times in this area of our being a perfect demonstration of God-like faith, of course. But friends, they need, that's your best gift. You've got eyes watching you. That's your best gift. That's the best thing to call you up to a faith you would never have if you didn't have little eyes watching you. It's a gift. So give them something to see that you really believe this stuff. and. It's easy to tell our kids, you know, we put Jesus first, we really live for God, we're Christian people, but what they're watching is your life, and they need to see you living it out and really trusting God. And I'm telling you, this unstoppable good initiative and this card and what God is going to lead you to put on there is a perfect example, perfect opportunity for you. I don't care if your kid is 6, 16, 26, or 36, you should have a conversation about this. You don't even have to use numbers, but you can just say, we're going to give a sacrificial gift to God because we, we believe it. He's going to get our first. He's going to get our best because we want to put God first. You can say it with your words all day long, but until you live it and give it, kids know, they see, it matters. What's your priority? Kids are watching you, and how we trust How we obey is going to go way further than our words ever will. So Abraham has that knife. He reaches up. He's about to lower it down. It's got to be the most difficult moment of his life. He's got to be trembling and weeping. I don't know. And that's the moment that God says, okay, I see now. And a voice from heaven stops him in his tracks. Verse 11 but the angel of the Lord, by the way, in the Old Testament, whenever you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, that, that messenger from God, most theologians believe, and I agree when you check them all out, it's Jesus. It's, the it's Jesus before he visits earth. It's, it's the Christ, the eternal living Christ is speaking here to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. Here I am, Abraham said again, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him because now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son, this thing that you love you didn't withhold from me. Abraham, we have a new terrain to walk on now, a new ground of faith and I know that you love me, it's not just words. This is why God asks us for sacrifice, because it takes all the words and it measures them about whether they're true or not. And, it, and Abraham grew in that moment. And God knew there was nothing he wouldn't do or give for him, because sacrifice is when you give up something you love for someone you love more. And Abraham passed that test. And so what happens next in verse 13 is Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram. A ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son." So God still got worshiped and praised. Now Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. As you may know, in Hebrew, names are very important, and God's name was Yahweh, the one that he gave Moses on the mountain, and now here he's giving another name to another guy on another mountain, and it's the name Yahweh with a little add-on, Yira, Yahweh Yira. Some of you have heard Jehovah Jireh, and what it means is, it's the very name of God, I will provide. Friends, God is a provider, and he's making Abraham understand, I am your provider, and in a moment of your need, I will be there for you and I will give you what you need, but you got to trust me. God is. Do you know that God is your provider? God is your provider. Either you're your provider or God is your provider, ultimately, for what we need in life. This is a story about Abraham's faith to a degree, but you know, it's more a story about God's faithfulness. His ability to provide and come through for us. And centuries later, God would provide another lamb in Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. And that, of course, is the ultimate sacrifice. When you give up something you love for something else you love, wow. And the Bible says, God so what? Loved. The world, and that's me. God so loved Ben and Carla and Nathan and Andrew and Ellie and Charlie and Carly and Tom and Tanisha. God loves you and me so much that He proved it. He didn't just say it, He showed it. Because giving, when you love, you give. It's just no, you can't. People are like, why does the church always talk about money? Because you can't say you love until you give. It's just like the way it works. God so loved that what did he do? He sacrificed. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. And when you get that, when it happens to you, when you realize that we are, the Bible says, and we know it in our spirit, like every one of us is a sinner who deserves sort of separation from God because God's holy and we're not. The Bible says that we deserve this sort of. It's like if we all go to court and the and the and the devil says this one's guilty. His name's Ben. He's a selfish pig. He's done this. He's done this. He's done this. He's done this. He hid it behind the pastor thing, but he's really a jerk. He doesn't deserve. You know what? God's going to say he's the only judge any of us ever face. God's going to say you're right on all of that. He's guilty. But you know what? I'm going to take this one. My son and I got this. And he offers his son as the sacrifice in my place, because God so loved. Ben and the world and you that he gave. And if you get that, that God provided a lamb, as John would say, that would take away the sins of the world, it does two things for you. God's sacrifice will do two things if you get it at all. Number one, it'll move you. This is why I love to be around people who actually are not just sort of casual Christians, but people who know they've been saved from something. Because they're moved, their spirit is attached They're like, I thank God Because they know what their life would be without him. They're moved when, when you know someone, someone gives you a gift card Unless you're a jerk, you're going to be like moved a little Like, wow, thank you You're going to want to respond to that because it moves you, and if God has given you the unthinkable, unfathomable gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and hope and presence and peace, if he's given anything like that to you, it's going to move you to your spirit's core and stir your soul. And the second thing it's going to do is God's sacrifice is going to motivate you. It's going to like move you to do something, to have some kind of response, to say, what kind of response is in order when someone literally lays down their life for you? If you aren't thinking about that at all, like you're not moved and you're not motivated, then you just don't get it. You haven't heard yet the good news of what God has done for you. Because when you do, it'll move you to your core. It'll motivate you to do something, to say to God, what can I do? What must I do? Here I am, Lord, like Abraham said. It motivates us and it moves us. You know what the Bible says? What should we do? What should we do? Romans 12 says, in light, in view of all of God's mercies, in light of what he's done on the cross, in light of Jesus, in light of his grace, in light of his, you can't separate anything from from you and God. You know, the love of God is inseparable. In light, in view of all these mercies, you know what? You know what we ought to do? We ought to offer our bodies as a what? A living. That's what the Bible says. You offer your sacrifice back to God. That's what's pleasing to God. That's what worship looks like. We want more of God in our life, but we're not willing sometimes to give him more of ourselves because that's how he comes in more. God's never going to ask you for a human sacrifice, but he is going to ask you for a sacrifice because he wants to know where he ranks with you. And that's why we've used that phrase, in it for good, because we're wanting to say, I'm going to go all in with God. I'm going to take a step I've never taken. I'm going to throw deep like I never have. And there are so many things, aren't there, that stand in the way of us just trusting God and and sacrificing. Think of all the things that just block my life. For Abraham, it was Isaac. That was the potential thing that God just wasn't sure if he'd be willing to let go of. So here's a question I have for you today. What's your Isaac? What's that thing that God might just have a question mark, like you, it's got such a tight hold on you, or you've got such a tight grip on it, that if you were asked to let go of it, it would, you, you're not sure you could. I don't know what the Isaac is in your life, but we probably all have one or more than one, that thing that God's wanting you to trust him with. So recall we're called to offer every single part of our life back to God, what's your Isaac? that part you're holding on to. It might be a relationship or maybe a profession or a hobby or a loved one or some kind of recreation. Or I know the truth is, for a lot of people, it's financial resources. It's our money. We we're willing to trust God in a lot of areas of our life, but except for this one, it's tough. Even though we know in our heads that everything given to us is gift from God and it's all his and we're just managers of his stuff and this again is why I mean I know if you're new to Christianity or you're you've got kind of a a cynical spirit you're like oh I don't know they always talk about money which of course isn't true we don't talk about as much as Jesus did he talked about it more than any other topic but I think the reason he did is because he knew that for a lot of us money can be our Isaac and it's kept countless Christians from surrender to God and we say with our lips lots of things about our faith, but yet we withhold our first, we withhold our best, we withhold our Isaac, we wouldn't do it. We say, well, I, I want to give, and I, but it goes to myself, or it goes to where I want it to go, or I'm not generous toward God. So we have to be willing to make a sacrifice, I think, of some kind. Lay it on the table and say, God, I know it belongs to you. What is it that you want me to do with it? This is what I love about 2 Samuel 24, where David, David wants to give an offering to God, and he wants to offer it a certain place, and he goes to the guy and says, hey, I want to offer something to God here. Can I buy this place from you? And, and the guy says, well, you're the king, and you're giving it to God. I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm going to give it to you. And David pushes back, and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. He says, I... I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. How much, how much do I owe you? I, I've got to thinking about some of the times I've wanted to make a sacrifice, what I wanted to call sacrifice, but it really cost me nothing. It didn't cost me any time. didn't cost any of my talents. I still used all those for here. or didn't cost me any of my treasure. So God isn't going to measure you know, your generosity by the size of your gift, but he is going to measure it by the size of your sacrifice. And that's why, you know, the dollar amount is not the issue when it comes to the financial part of this. It's not the issue. For some of you, as Jesus told the story, it's going to be a very small amount. It's going to be a big sacrifice for you. $100 over two years might be a sacrifice for somebody. For for others others of you, $100 a day would not even be a sacrifice. A million dollars over two years would not be a sacrifice. You've got to figure that out. That's you and God. But the point is, I guess... You have an invitation to give God your first and your best and make a sacrifice from your heart. I I love the fact that for 198 years, this church has been growing and going by people who just kind of got to a moment where they're like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I'm so thankful because we're kind of enjoying the fruit of their faith that went before us. And now it's our turn. Now it's our time. Um, I want you to hear from some friends of ours. They go to this campus and they're here at this service here today, but they've just sat down and talked a little bit from their heart. Steve and Christine, will you just watch the screen for a minute?
1: We are Steve and Christine Hayes. We go to Mountain Road Campus, and we have been here since '93, 1993. We were young back then. <laughs> <laughs> the very first time we came was Walker Chapel. They were currently building what would then become Cook. And then once we got down the hill, we started hearing the messages. I was a little slow learner. Obviously, didn't think I had to do all the other stuff that everyone did to become part of the community. I was just grabbing a message, getting something out of it, moving on, Uh, and then we started feeling we really wanted to get involved in what Mountain was all about. If you look at Mountain's history, and you go back, it's kind of amazing that 1824, and they had to build a church, and these people committed to this church for that community, and then Walker Chapel was the next big push, and then it wasn't called Cook, but it was the, The church up on the hill became the next big push and that's when we came along so people were giving of their time giving of their money to see that there would be a church for the lost i felt the call to be obedient and i just want to encourage people there is a voice there if you're quiet long enough there'll be a prompting on your heart from the holy spirit to say do that and just listen to that voice. It'll move you to the next step. Welcome to the mountain. Get there, find the story, feel the pull, baptism, join a small group, start serving. My goal was the 10% tithe and uh, we didn't have it. So we sat and prayed and we're like, listen, God, this is all for you. We don't want anything from this, but just we want to be obedient so that we felt a true disciple of Jesus that we could give um, and not out of hate. So it was, it, it added to some pressures uh, where we were trying to pay off credit cards. Well, that got the minimum payment because our first payment, and I hate to say the word payment, but our first obligation was to God. And then when God was taken care of, out of our first fruit, we lived on the rest. And way beyond what I could imagine, way beyond what we could reach, but debts were cleared through opportunity. Uh, We weren't afraid to work. Mm -hmm. So doors were open to allow this to happen. Doors were open to allow this to happen, to move up in our income, to be able to handle those debts while still maintaining our commitment to God. Uh, that's actually really cool. And all we wanna do now is bless others. I think maybe you just say, just try it. Just try it for maybe a month and see if you see any changes. See if, see if you see any blessings come your way. See if you see any differences, um, whether God's nudging you to do something else or you you know, just, just try it. Unstoppable good, we've already put a percentage on that end bonus of the year because it's gonna fall right at the end of the start of Unstoppable Good to kind of be this December, you know, when the accountant says, oh, here's what you get. and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be awesome for that. You know what I mean? So we've we've amped up to give more. Um, We're looking for spots where we can throw extra, 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 Um, not just the standard 10%. You know, you know, sign me up. We're in unstoppable good. Next initiative, we're all for it. Whatever it takes, we want to see. We're we're so excited about the next wave of growth. Uh, and Mountain has such a great track record of that that I just see the more people being saved, the more people fixing a relationship, uh, the more people getting off of a drug problem, more people that were once broken are now healed. And we get to be part of that, you know? Those people were, now us. That's my push, to keep this going and bigger and better because there's so many unreached people that I need to do more to reach them. And that's the legacy, that we will stand firm like the previous members of Mountain, to keep a church-like Mountain going. You know, I mean, he's patiently waited for us. He's patiently waiting for all the lost. And if we can just open the door and say, welcome, please come, and it will be unstoppable good for here, there, everywhere.
0: All right. I really think that when you get to the end of your life and you look back on it, your greatest moments are gonna be those moments where you didn't hold back, where you didn't just dink and dump, but where you, you threw deep somehow. You asked him to marry you. <laughs> you poured into your kids and you took a, took a faith risk. I pray God will help us do that together and throw deep. We thought how better to end some time when we thought about sacrifice than just sharing in communion together as we close our service. So if you, you've got one of these maybe on the way in, it's a reminder of the beautiful symbol of Jesus' blood and body broken for us. Did you know, did you know, you guys, that when Abraham walked up that hill carrying the wood, on his back that's the same hill that Jesus centuries later would walk up with wood on his back same region of the country same, same hill and he was ready to go to do it to show his love for God and that's the same reason Jesus went up that hill to show his love for you it's beautiful sacrifice shows demonstrates proves love For Abraham, there was a moment where he was ready, but he didn't have to. The hand did not come down, but for Jesus, the hand had to come down and drive those spikes into his his hands and feet because that's what love required in that moment. And he passed that test. And when you get that, it'll move you. It'll motivate you. And I pray that this thank you dinner we celebrate together today will just center you back on Jesus in the most profound and simple way. So as we eat and drink together, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your moment to connect with him. If you're unsure where you are with God, you're welcome to just use this as a precious moment of quiet reflection and listen for the voice of God in your life. Let's eat and drink uh, together, and then let me pray. God, your love is enough to leave us speechless. So thank you for your sacrifice and that you gave your only son and did not withhold him. Help us to be moved and motivated by that and respond in light of those mercies by offering our own selves as sacrifices. And help us to never give you a gift that costs us nothing. Help us to consider how we can give and be generous to you and to what's important to you so that we might grow and find our greatest joy. Fill this place in every heart with encouragement. Uplift each one. Speak to us in these moments as we commune with you, and we ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.